Chapter Eight: The Period of Attempted Suppression, Part Two, 1807 to 1825. 62. Apathy of the Federal Government. The United States cruisers succeeded now and then in capturing a slaver, like the Eugene, which was taken when within four miles of the New Orleans bar. President Madison, again, in 1816, urged Congress to act on account of the violations and evasions, which, it is suggested, are chargeable on unworthy citizens who mingle in the slave trade under foreign flags and with foreign ports and by collusive importations of slaves into the United States through adjoining ports and territories. The executive was continually in receipt of annual evidence of this illicit trade and of the helplessness of officers of the law. In 1817 it was reported to the Secretary of the Navy that most of the goods carried to Galveston were brought into the United States, the more valuable, and the slaves are smuggled in through the numerous inlets to the westward, where the people are but too much disposed to render them every possible assistance. Several hundred slaves are now at Galveston, and persons have gone from New Orleans to purchase them. Every exertion will be made to intercept them, but I have little hopes of success. Similar letters from naval officers and collectors showed that a system of slave piracy had arisen since the war, and that at Galveston there was an establishment of organized brigands, who did not go to the trouble of sailing to Africa for their slaves, but simply captured slavers and sold their cargoes into the United States. This Galveston nest had, in 1817, eleven armed vessels to prosecute the work, and the most shameful violations of the Slave Act, as well as our revenue laws, continue to be practiced. Cargoes of as many as three hundred slaves were arriving in Texas. All this took place under Ari, the buccaneer governor, and when he removed to Amelia Island in 1817 with the McGregor raid, the illicit traffic in slaves, which had been going on there for years, took an impulse that brought it even to the somewhat deaf ears of Collector Bullock. He reported May twenty second, 1817. I have just received information from a source on which I can implicitly rely that it has already become the practice to introduce into the state of Georgia, across the St. Mary's River, from Amelia Island, East Florida, Africans, who have been carried into the port of Fernandina, subsequent to the capture of it by the Patriot Army, now in possession of it. Were the legislature to pass an act giving compensation in some manner to informers, it would have a tendency in a great degree to prevent the practice, as the thing now is, no citizen will take the trouble of searching for and detecting the slaves. I further understand that the evil will not be confined altogether to Africans, but will be extended to the worst class of West India slaves. Undoubtedly the injury done by these pirates to the regular slave-trading interests was largely instrumental in exterminating them. Late in 1817, United States troops seized Amelia Island, and President Monroe felicitated Congress and the country upon escaping the annoyance and injury of this illicit trade. The trade, however, seems to have continued, as is shown by such letters as the following, written three and a half months later. 
Port of Darien, March 14, 1818. It is a painful duty, sir, to express to you that I am in possession of undoubted information that African and West India Negroes are almost daily illicitly introduced into Georgia for sale or settlement or passing through it to the territories of the United States for similar purposes. These facts are notorious, and it is not unusual to see such Negroes in the streets of St. Mary's, and such too recently captured by our vessels of war, and ordered to Savannah, were illegally bartered by hundreds in that city. For this bartering, or bonding, as it is called, but in reality selling, actually took place before any decision had been passed by the court respecting them. I cannot but again express to you, sir, that these irregularities and mocking of the laws by men who understand them, and who, it was presumed, would have respected them, are such that it requires the immediate interposition of Congress to effect a suppression of this traffic, for as things are, should a faithful officer of the government apprehend such negroes, to avoid the penalties imposed by the laws, the proprietors disclaim them, and some agent of the executive demands a delivery of the same to him, who may employ them as he pleases, or effect a sale by way of a bond, for the restoration of the negroes when legally called on so to do, which bond, it is understood, is to be forfeited, as the amount of the bond is so much less than the value of the property. There are many negroes recently introduced into the state and the Alabama territory, which can be apprehended the undertaking would be great but to be sensible that we shall possess your approbation and that we are carrying the views and wishes of the government into execution is all we wish and it shall be done independent of every personal consideration this approbation failed to come to the zealous collector and on the 5th of July he wrote that, not being favored with the reply, he has been obliged to deliver over to the governor's agents 91 illegally imported Negroes. Reports from other districts corroborate this testimony. The collector at Mobile writes of strange proceedings on the part of the courts. General D.B. Mitchell, ex-governor of Georgia and United States Indian agent, after an investigation in 1821 by Attorney General Wirt, was found guilty of having prostituted his power as agent for Indian affairs at the Creek Agency to the purpose of aiding and assisting in a conscious breach of the Act of Congress of 1807 in prohibition of the slave trade, and this from mercenary motives. The indefatigable Collector Chu of New Orleans wrote to Washington that to put a stop to that traffic, a naval force suitable to those waters is indispensable, and that vast numbers of slaves will be introduced to an alarming extent, unless prompt and effectual measures are adopted by the general government. Other collectors continually reported infractions, complaining that they could get no assistance from the citizens, or plaintively asking the services of one small cutter. Meantime, what was the response of the government to such representations, and what efforts were made to enforce the act? A few unsystematic and spasmodic attempts are recorded. In 1811 some special instructions were sent out, and the President was authorized to seize Amelia Island. 
then came the war and as late as november fifteenth eighteen eighteen in spite of the complaints of collectors we find no revenue cutter on the gulf coast during the years eighteen seventeen and eighteen eighteen some cruisers went there irregularly but they were too large to be effective and the partial suppression of the amelia island pirates was all that was accomplished on the whole the efforts of the government lacked plan energy and often sincerity some captures of slavers were made but as the collector at mobile wrote and in certain cases this was owing rather to accident than any well-timed arrangement he adds from the chandelier islands to the perdido river including the coast and numerous other islands we have only a small boat with four men and an inspector to oppose to the whole confederacy of smugglers and pirates to cap the climax the government officials were so negligent that secretary crawford in eighteen twenty confessed to congress that it appears from an examination of the records of this office that no particular instructions have ever been given by the secretary of the treasury under the original or supplementary acts prohibiting the introduction of slaves into the united states besides this inactivity the government was criminally negligent in not prosecuting and punishing offenders when captured urgent appeals for instruction from prosecuting attorneys were too often received in official silence complaints as to the violation of law by state officers went unheeded informers were unprotected and sometimes driven from home indeed the most severe comment on the whole period is the report january seventh eighteen nineteen of the register of the treasury who after the wholesale and open violation of the act of eighteen o seven reported in response to a request from the house that it doth not appear from an examination of the records of this office and particularly of the accounts to the date of their last settlement of the collectors of the customs and of the several marshals of the united states that any forfeitures had been incurred under the said act sixty three typical cases at this date january seventh eighteen nineteen however certain cases were stated to be pending a history of which will fitly conclude this discussion in eighteen eighteen three american schooners sailed from the united states to havana on june second they started back with cargoes aggregating one hundred and seven slaves the schooner constitution was captured by one of andrew jackson's officers under the guns of fort barrancas the louisa and marino were captured by lieutenant mckeever of the united states navy the three vessels were duly proceeded against at mobile and the case began slowly to drag along the slaves instead of being put under the care of the zealous marshal of the district were placed in the hands of three bondsmen friends of the judge the marshal notified the government of this irregularity but apparently received no answer in eighteen twenty two the three vessels were condemned as forfeited but the court reserved for future order the distribution of the slaves nothing whatever either then or later was done to the slave traders themselves the owners of the ships promptly appealed to the supreme court of the united states and that tribunal in eighteen twenty four condemned the three vessels and the slaves on two of them 
these slaves considerably reduced in number from various causes were sold at auction for the benefit of the state in spite of the act of eighteen nineteen meantime before the decision of the supreme court the judge of the supreme court of west florida had awarded to certain alleged spanish claimants of the slaves indemnity for nearly the whole number seized at the price of six hundred and fifty dollars per head and the secretary of the treasury had actually paid the claim in eighteen twenty six lieutenant mckeever urgently petitions congress for his prize money of four thousand four hundred and fifteen dollars and fifteen cents which he has not yet received the constitution was for some explicable reason released from bond and the whole case fades in a very thick cloud of official mist in eighteen thirty one congress sought to inquire into the final disposition of the slaves the information given was never printed but as late as eighteen thirty six a certain calvin mickle petitions congress for reimbursement for the slaves sold for their hire for their natural increase for expenses incurred and for damages sixty four the supplementary acts eighteen eighteen to eighteen twenty to remedy the obvious defects of the act of eighteen o seven two courses were possible one to minimize the crime of transportation and by encouraging informers to concentrate efforts against the buying of smuggled slaves the other to make the crime of transportation so great that no slaves would be imported the act of eighteen eighteen tried the first method that of eighteen nineteen the second the latter was obviously the more upright and logical and the only method deserving thought even in eighteen o seven but the act of eighteen eighteen was the natural descendant of that series of compromises which began in the constitutional convention and which instead of postponing the settlement of critical questions to more favorable times rather aggravated and complicated them the immediate cause of the act of eighteen eighteen was the amelia island scandal committees in both houses reported bills but that of the senate finally passed there does not appear to have been very much debate the sale of africans for the benefit of the informer and of the united states was strongly urged as the only means of executing the laws against the slave trade as experience had fully demonstrated since the origin of the prohibition this proposition was naturally opposed as inconsistent with the principles of our government and calculated to throw as wide open the door to the importation of slaves as it was before the existing prohibition the act which became a law april twentieth eighteen eighteen was a poorly constructed compromise which virtually acknowledged the failure of efforts to control the trade and sought to remedy defects by pitting cupidity against cupidity informer against thief one half of all forfeitures and fines were to go to the informer and penalties for violation were changed as follows for equipping a slaver instead of a fine of twenty thousand dollars a fine of one thousand dollars to five thousand dollars and imprisonment from three to seven years for transporting negroes instead of a fine of five thousand dollars and forfeiture of ship and negroes a fine of one thousand dollars to five thousand dollars and imprisonment for three to seven years for actual importation 
instead of a fine of one thousand dollars to ten thousand dollars and imprisonment from five to ten years a fine of one thousand dollars to ten thousand dollars and imprisonment from three to seven years for knowingly buying illegally imported negroes instead of a fine of eight hundred dollars for each negro and forfeiture a fine of one thousand dollars for each negro the burden of proof was laid on the defendant to the extent that he must prove that the slave in question had been imported at least five years before the prosecution the slaves were still left to the disposal of the states the statute of course was a failure from the start and at the very next session congress took steps to revise it a bill was reported in the house january thirteenth eighteen nineteen but it was not discussed till march it finally passed after much debate the senate dropped its own bill and after striking out the provision for the death penalty passed the bill as it came from the house the house acquiesced and the bill became a law march third eighteen nineteen in the midst of the missouri trouble this act directed the president to use armed cruisers on the coasts of the united states and africa to suppress the slave trade one half the proceeds of the condemned ship were to go to the captors as bounty provided the africans were safely lodged with the united states marshal and the crew with the civil authorities these provisions were seriously marred by a proviso which butler of louisiana had inserted with a due regard for the interests of the state which he represented viz that a captured slaver must always be returned to the port whence she sailed this of course secured decided advantages to southern slave traders the most radical provision of the act was that which directed the president to make such regulations and arrangements as he may deem expedient for the safekeeping support and removal beyond the limits of the united states of all such negroes mulattoes or persons of color as may be so delivered and brought within their jurisdiction and to appoint an agent in africa to receive such negroes finally an appropriation of one hundred thousand dollars was made to enforce the act this act was in some measure due to the new colonization movement and the return of africans recaptured was a distinct recognition of its efforts and the real foundation of liberia to render this straightforward act effective it was necessary to add but one measure and that was a penalty commensurate with the crime of slave stealing this was accomplished by the act of may fifteenth eighteen twenty a law which may be regarded as the last of the missouri compromise measures the act originated from the various bills on piracy which were introduced early in the sixteenth congress the house bill in spite of opposition was amended so as to include slave trading under piracy and passed the senate agreed without a division this law provided that direct participation in the slave trade should be piracy punishable with death statutes at large volume three page five hundred and thirty three to four march third eighteen nineteen one hundred thousand dollars volume three page seven hundred and sixty four march third eighteen twenty three fifty thousand dollars volume three page one hundred and forty one march fourteenth eighteen twenty six 
thirty-two-thousand dollars. Page one hundred and forty-one, March fourteenth, eighteen twenty-six, thirty-two-thousand dollars. Page two hundred and eight, March second, eighteen twenty-seven, thirty-six thousand seven hundred and ten dollars, twenty thousand dollars. Page three hundred and two, May twenty-fourth, eighteen twenty-eight, thirty thousand dollars. Page three hundred and fifty-four, March second, eighteen twenty-nine, sixteen thousand dollars. Page four hundred and sixty-two, March second, eighteen thirty-one, sixteen thousand dollars. Page six hundred and fifteen, February twentieth, eighteen thirty-three, five thousand dollars. Page sixty-seven, January twenty-fourth, eighteen thirty-three, five thousand dollars. Volume four, page one hundred and fifty-seven to eight, March third, eighteen thirty-seven, eleven thousand four hundred thirteen dollars and fifty-seven cents. Page five hundred one, August fourth, eighteen forty-two. Ten thousand five hundred and forty-three dollars and forty-two cents. Page six hundred and fifteen, March third, eighteen forty-three, five thousand dollars. Volume eight, page ninety-six, August tenth, eighteen forty-six, twenty-five thousand dollars. Page ninety, March eighteenth, eighteen fifty-six, eight thousand dollars. Page two hundred and twenty-seven. March third, eighteen fifty seven, eight thousand dollars. Page four hundred and four, March third, eighteen fifty nine, seventy five thousand dollars. Volume eleven, page twenty one, May twenty sixth, eighteen sixty, forty thousand dollars. Page one hundred and thirty two, February nineteenth, eighteen sixty one, nine hundred thousand dollars. Page two hundred and nineteen. March second, eighteen sixty one, nine hundred thousand dollars. Page six hundred and thirty nine, February fourth, eighteen sixty three, seventeen thousand dollars. Page four hundred and twenty four, January twenty fourth, eighteen sixty five, seventeen thousand dollars. Page two hundred and twenty six, July twenty fifth, eighteen sixty six, seventeen thousand dollars. Page four hundred and fifteen, February twenty eighth, eighteen sixty seven, seventeen thousand dollars. Page fifty eight, March thirtieth, eighteen sixty eight, twelve thousand five hundred dollars. Page three hundred and twenty one, March third, eighteen sixty nine, twelve thousand five hundred dollars. Total for fifty years. Two million three hundred and eighty six thousand six hundred and sixty six dollars and ninety nine cents. Minus surpluses reappropriated, approximate forty eight thousand six hundred and sixty six dollars and ninety nine cents. For a total of two million three hundred and thirty eight thousand. Cost of squadron eighteen forty three to eighteen fifty eight. Three hundred and eighty four thousand five hundred per year. House Executive Document 31, Congress 1, Session 9, Number 73. Returning Slaves on Wildfire, Statutes at Large, 12.41. Approximate cost of squadron, 1858 to 66, probably not less than 500,000 per year. Approximate money cost of suppressing the slave trade, 12.41. 
12,355,500. C.F. Kendall's Report, Senate Document 21, Congress 2, Session 1, Number 1, pages 211 to 218. American State Papers, Naval 3, Number 429E. Also reports of the Secretaries of the Navy from 1819 to 1860. 65. Enforcement of the Supplementary Acts, 1818-1825. A somewhat more sincere and determined effort to enforce the slave trade laws now followed, and yet it is a significant fact that not until Lincoln's administration did a slave trader suffer death for violating the laws of the United States. The participation of Americans in the trade continued, declining somewhat between 1825 and 1830, and then reviving until it reached its highest activity between 1840 and 1860. The development of a vast internal slave trade and the consequent rise in the South of vested interest strongly opposed to slave smuggling led to a falling off in the illicit introduction of Negroes after 1825 until the 50s, Nevertheless, smuggling never entirely ceased, and large numbers were thus added to the plantations of the Gulf states. Monroe had various constitutional scruples as to the execution of the Act of 1819, but as Congress took no action, he at last put a fair interpretation on his powers, and appointed Samuel Bacon as an agent in Africa to form a settlement for recaptured Africans. Gradually, the agency thus formed became merged with that of the Colonization Society on Cape Mejorado, and from this union, Liberia was finally evolved. Meantime, during the years 1818 to 1820, the activity of the slave traders was prodigious. General James Talmadge declared in the House, February 15, 1819, Our laws are already highly penal against their introduction and yet it is a well-known fact that about 14,000 slaves have been brought into our country this last year. In the same year, Middleton of South Carolina and Wright of Virginia estimated illicit introduction at 13,000 and 15,000, respectively. Judge Story, in charging a jury, took occasion to say, We have put too many proofs from unquestionable sources that it, the slave trade, is still carried on with the implacable rapacity of former times. Avarice has grown more subtle in its evasions, and watches and seizes its prey with an appetite quickened rather than suppressed by its guilty vigils. American citizens are steeped to their very mouths. I can hardly use too bold a figure in this stream of iniquity. The following year, 1820, brought some significant statements from various members of Congress. Said Smith of South Carolina, Pharaoh was, for his temerity, drowned in the Red Sea in pursuing them, the Israelites, contrary to God's express will. But our northern friends have not been afraid even of that in their zeal to furnish the southern states with Africans. They are better seamen than Pharaoh and calculate by what means to elude the vigilance of heaven, which they seem to disregard, if they can but elude the violated laws of their country. As late as May he saw little hope of suppressing the traffic. Sargent of Pennsylvania declared, It is notorious that in spite of the utmost vigilance that can be employed, 
african negroes are clandestinely brought in and sold as slaves plumer of new hampshire stated that of the unhappy beings thus in violation of all laws transported to our shores and thrown by force into the mass of our black population scarcely one in a hundred is ever detected by the officers of the general government in a part of the country where if we are to believe the statement of governor rabin an officer who would perform his duty by attempting to enforce the law against the slave trade is by many considered as an officious meddler and treated with derision and contempt i have been told by a gentleman who has attended particularly to this subject that ten thousand slaves were in one year smuggled into the united states and that even for the last year we must count the number not by hundreds but by thousands in eighteen twenty one a committee of congress characterized prevailing methods as those of the grossest fraud that could be practiced to deceive the officers of government another committee in eighteen twenty two after a careful examination of the subject declared that they find it impossible to measure with precision the effect produced upon the american branch of the slave trade by the laws above mentioned and the seizures under them they are unable to state whether those american merchants the american capital and seamen which heretofore aided in this traffic have abandoned it altogether or have sought shelter under the flags of other nations they then state the suspicious circumstance that with the disappearance of the american flag from the traffic the trade notwithstanding increases annually under the flags of other nations they complain of the spasmodic efforts of the executive they say that the first united states cruiser arrived on the african coast in march eighteen twenty and remained a few weeks and since then four others had in two years made five visits in all but since the middle of last november the commencement of the healthy season on that coast no vessel has been nor as your committee is informed is under orders for that service the united states african agent ayers reported in eighteen twenty three i was informed by an american officer who had been on the coast in eighteen twenty that he had boarded twenty american vessels in one morning lying in the port of Galenos, and fitted for the reception of slaves it is a lamentable fact that most of the harbors between the senegal and the line were visited by an equal number of american vessels and for the sole purpose of carrying away slaves although for some years the coast has been occasionally visited by our cruisers their short stay and seldom appearance had made but slight impression on those traders rendered hardy by the repetition of crime and avaricious by excessive gain they were enabled by a regular system to gain intelligence of any cruiser being on the coast even such spasmodic efforts bore abundant fruit and indicated what vigorous measures might have accomplished between may eighteen eighteen and november eighteen twenty one nearly six hundred africans were recaptured and eleven american slavers taken such measures gradually changed the character of the trade and opened the international phase of the question american slavers cleared for foreign ports there took a foreign flag and papers and then sailed boldly past american cruisers although their real character was often well known 
more stringent clearance laws and consular instructions might have greatly reduced this practice but nothing was ever done and gradually the laws became in large measure powerless to deal with the bulk of the illicit trade in eighteen twenty september sixteenth a british officer in his official report declares that in spite of united states laws american vessels american subjects and american capital are unquestionably engaged in the trade though under other colors and in disguise the united states ship cyan at one time reported ten captures within a few days adding although they are evidently owned by americans they are so completely covered by spanish papers that it is impossible to condemn them the governor of sierra leone reported the rivers nunez and pongas full of renegade european and american slave traders the trade was said to be carried on to an extent that almost staggers belief down to eighteen twenty four or eighteen twenty five reports from all quarters proved this activity in slave trading the execution of the laws within the country exhibits grave defects and even criminal negligence attorney general wirt finds it necessary to assure collectors in eighteen nineteen that it is against public policy to dispense with the prosecutions for violation of the law to prohibit the slave trade one district attorney writes it appears to be almost impossible to enforce the laws of the united states against offenders after the negroes have been landed in the state again it is asserted that when vessels engaged in the slave trade have been detained by the american cruisers and sent into the slave-holding states there appears at once a difficulty in securing the freedom to these captives which the laws of the united states have decreed for them in some cases one man would smuggle in the africans and hide them in the woods then his partner would rob him and so all trace be lost perhaps three hundred and fifty africans were officially reported as brought in contrary to law from eighteen eighteen to eighteen twenty the absurdity of this figure is apparent a circular letter to the marshals in eighteen twenty one brought reports of only a few well-known cases like that of general ramirez the marshal of louisiana had no information there appears to be little positive evidence of a large illicit importation into the country for a decade after eighteen twenty five it is hardly possible however considering the activity in the trade that slaves were not largely imported indeed when we note how the laws were continually broken in other respects absence of evidence of petty smuggling becomes presumptive evidence that collusive or tacit understanding of officers and citizens allowed the trade to some extent finally it must be noted that during all this time scarcely a man suffered for participating in the trade beyond the loss of the africans and more rarely of his ship red-handed slavers caught in the act and convicted were too often like lacoste of south carolina the subjects of executive clemency in certain cases there were those who even had the effrontery to ask congress to cancel their own laws for instance in eighteen nineteen a venezuelan privateer secretly fitted out and manned by americans in baltimore 
succeeded in capturing several american portuguese and spanish slavers and appropriating the slaves being finally wrecked herself she transferred her crew and slaves to one of her prizes the antelope which was eventually captured by a united states cruiser and the two hundred and eighty africans sent to georgia after much litigation the united states supreme court ordered those captured from spaniards to be surrendered and the others to be returned to africa by some mysterious process only one hundred and thirty-nine africans now remained one hundred of whom were sent to africa the spanish claimants of the remaining thirty-nine sold them to a certain mr wilde who gave bond to transport them out of the country finally in december eighteen twenty seven there came an innocent petition to congress to cancel this bond a bill to that effect passed and was approved may second eighteen twenty eight and in consequence these africans remained as slaves in georgia on the whole it is plain that although in the period from eighteen o seven to eighteen twenty congress laid down broad lines of legislation sufficient save in some details to suppress the african slave trade to america yet the execution of these laws was criminally lax moreover by the facility with which slavers could disguise their identity it was possible for them to escape even a vigorous enforcement of our laws this situation could properly be met only by energetic and sincere international cooperation the next chapter will review efforts directed toward this end end of chapter eight part two recording by lawrence trask mount vernon ohio interfaceaudio.com